of the Lord for us and, that, and what that means. And he'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, all of the notes and scriptures are there. If you just search in events for Reservoir Church, or they'll be on the screen for you. Or you can just sit and hear them as we speak them. Okay, hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that salvation is not from our own works, Lord. We fail every single day. But Lord, we are so grateful, Lord, that you sent your son, the the greatest gift. We ask, Lord, that as we go about our days that it's so easy to forget. Forget what you've done for us. Forget that we are here to glorify you. That we should seek to do good works to glorify you. Help us, Lord, to get in your words, be reminded, to pray without ceasing and to serve others and make them know your love. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that we would hear the words that you you would give Jonathan, and that we would go out and proclaim proclaim your gospel this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Thanks, John. So when the grace of God is all you've got, it is more than enough. So when this grace that Paul's proclaimed that is everywhere throughout Scripture is really like our central thing. When it's all we've got, it's more than enough. It's more than we need. It is exactly what we long for, whether we know it or not. I was thinking back on my life um, this week, and it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times, right? I felt like in this season of my life, I had finally arrived and refusing to be someone who peaked in high school, I really poured myself into the undergraduate experience, all six years of it for me. Stacy's like so proud. She's like, I did it in three and a half years. What was your problem? Four. Okay. Well, see, still better than me. But it, I really like wanted the whole college experience, like fraternity guy, all this stuff is really great. The Lord has worked. Um, but in that season, I, like, I was popular. And I mean, like, I thought I was cool. I was the student body president of our university. So 16,000 students were represented or represented by me. I was forming connections. Like I was setting myself up for a political life in the great state of Nebraska, the good life, right? I was serving students. I had the best parking spot on campus. Like, I think better than 
the chancellor of the university, I had a great parking spot. And it felt like, to me, I was everybody's friend on campus. Like, everybody knew me. It was great. And so I, I thought I was friendly with everybody except the Lambda Chi's. They hated me, but that's a whole nother story. I was in the executive suite at our school's hockey games, which was our, like, D1 sport in the University of Nebraska at Omaha. And so that was, like, the place to be. It was great. I sat behind the governor at Husker football games as the student regent representing our campus of the university system. And it was a pretty amazing life for a kid in his early 20s. And I I thought it was perfect. That's exactly what I would want. I was on the top of the world, or at least my world anyway, in that moment. Like you couldn't write a better story than what I had formed for myself and was living. But then, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, living in the passions of my flesh, I got really drunk. And I attended a home football game in nothing but a kilt. And that was actually the last day of that tradition for our fraternity. Are you laughing? Oh, sorry. (laughs) The image, right? Um, And so, you know, poor behavior alone could have been written off as youthful indiscretion, right? Like, oh, typical frat guy just acting stupid. But we were playing our Division II football rivals, and we were winning. They had won the national championship for Division II, Northwest Missouri State, And we were beating them, so of course I had to, in my kilts, and that's it, go and taunt the opposing fans, right? So I'm there talking trash as we're kicking their butts on the field. The next thing I know, I'm being pinned to the ground by an off-duty police officer being arrested for, get this, ready? Inciting a riot, it was the, the only moment in the whole football game that the fans in the visiting section of the stadium cheered <laughs> when I was arrested and thrown to the ground, right? Uh, and and that, was, that was quite the experience. And what followed was just really a, a, a few gut-wrenching months of my life. Like, everything seemed ruined. When I thought I was untouchable, I remember like, the feeling of driving on campus and going to that really amazing parking spot and be like, I own this place, right? As any punk 20-year-old would do, right? I, but when I was at that top, when I was at that pinnacle of what I thought was a rival of what I needed to do, I lost what I thought was everything in just a, a moment of stupidity, selfishness. I lost access. I lost friends, which I thought I had so many. I lost the position. I was removed from my office and put on disciplinary probation. And most of all, I lost that parking spot, <laughs> which on our, it was a commuter campus. Parking was very important in Omaha, right? And I was humiliated. I was a failure. It was hard. And I wish I could say that that was the last failure in my life, that I have to go back 26 years to uh, uncover a failure, the last time that I hit rock bottom. But it was just one of what I have come to conclude are the vital experiences that the Lord used to start loosening the grip of the trespasses and sins in which I once walked. 
And I didn't live up to expectations. I wasn't good enough, not according to the world in that moment, and certainly not according to religion, that in which I was raised of being good and being a Christian. And I wonder if maybe you have an experience or a few that are kind of like that. Where it felt like things have been stripped away, where they've been taken from you, where you felt like a failure, those around you failed you, where you didn't live up to the standard you just knew had been set for you. I want you to know if you've ever had that sense, that feeling, that the reality of failure, that you are in good company. Because it's a story for all of us, really. When we have the right lenses to, to see it, the right perspective on our lives, because all of humanity actually finds ourselves in this space. We're once children of wrath, Paul tells us, dead in sin and performance. We could never achieve, we could never ascend the holy hill in our own strength. And into that reality of the world living under the pressures and control of the prince of the power of the air and the passions of our flesh comes Jesus. And last week we talked about the equation of salvation in Ephesians is what we bring in is just death, burden, the weight of our sin and shame in our own existence. And then what are we given? We are made alive together with Christ, raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places, Paul says. And it's amazing. And it's the truth that if you are here this morning and you are in Christ, you have believed in Jesus. It is by grace that you have been saved. There's just two verses for today, verses 8 through 10. So that's three verses. Bad math, right? So just three verses today. But it shows us the life of faith, that it's all of grace. Everything we're called to, everything we're brought out of, it's all a gift. It's all of grace. And when the grace of God is all you've got, it is more than enough. Now, the second chapter of Ephesians is essentially a magisterial text. Like, it's above so much else. It's essential for us as followers of Jesus. And it follows right after the worshipful song that began uh, this doxology in Ephesians 1. And it flows then into the cosmic reality of life both without Christ and life then united with him. And those belonging to Jesus, we are told by Paul, share in Christ's resurrection, his ascension, and in all that is to come. That all that is his is made ours by our union with him. And Paul says we have all that in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Then we get to our section for today that is the anchor of those riches that he has for us. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Today, I just want to talk about grace and good works. And so we start with grace, which we have a picture of a welcome mat is our image for grace. And if you can't read it, it says, come as you are, which is exactly. And it's like 
It's actually a bad image because you don't even have to clean your shoes off with God, right? In Christ, you just come as you are. Like he brings us in. He accepts us. There is a welcome in the grace of God toward us. Now, I have to share with you my least favorite fable sermon illustration. You know what fable sermon illustrations are? They're, they're sermon illustrations that you know they totally made up, that it's not a true story. Like, remember when the atheist buys the groceries and the woman's like, oh, the, the Lord gave me groceries and made the devil do it? Like, that's totally made up, right? But the other one that I absolutely hate, it's a story of a preacher driving by this farm that is just an exquisite piece of land. There are beautiful fields. There are manicured lawns there. There's a pasture with these great cattle or whatever. There's stables and there's this stunning farmhouse. And eventually the preacher rolls up to the farm and he says, Sir, what an amazing farm God has given you. To which the farmer responded, That's true and I'm grateful. And then he paused for a moment and he responded, to the preacher, but you should have seen it when God had it to himself, right? And I don't like that illustration because used wrongly, it would be followed with then a call to get to work, clean up your field, clean up your life as if God doesn't transform unless you labor. And it puts things out of order. But I think there's a temptation even for the, the preacher who originally preached that illustration to me, that would probably would have jumped through our text and got to the reality of faith or the necessary work that you're called to do that's been prepared for you and make it all about you. Because it's the human condition to see everything through a lens of personal effort and achievement. It's just how we're cooked, right? Everything in our existence is transactional. It's about earning. Like even in the safest spaces we have, right? Think of, for those of us that are married in our relationships, if only I do the dishes, she'll notice. And then I'll get what I want. That has never worked, by the way. She just requires me to do the dishes all the time, right? But everything's transactional. Okay. But it's always transactional, right? Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Merits. We do this in the workplace, right? And we carry all of that transactional, relational experience into our relationship with our creator. And we think we need to earn our way there. Salvation, Paul is preaching to us in this letter, is not something that we achieve. It is actually just rescue from all that produces death. Even our inability to live up to the standard required and to be in the presence of God is covered. We're rescued out of that. And he says it's by grace, given what we could never earn or deserve, that we are saved. One pastor asked the question, what is grace? It's unmerited favor, the love of God going out toward the utterly undeserving. It has reference here to forgiveness of sin and the riches that Christ brings. It is a lavish, ready for this word, sumptuous, joyous word. But the great and transcending emphasis of our text is that grace is a free gift. The idea of this is not of your doing is that by God's grace, you are people who have been saved through faith in this whole event and experience. Everything that Paul has declared up to this point is God's free gift to you. It's amazing. 
How contrary that is to the spirit of our age, right? Especially uh, North American or American culture, because we will say things like, we make our money the old-fashioned way. We earn it, right? I think you have to go out and be all that you can be to achieve. And such a mentality is proper to its realm, right? We should vocationally work in the spaces we do to earn and to give back, right? To give an effort. But in regard to salvation, a mentality like that, a posture like that of earning, of uh, achieving is deadly for us. As Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's all of grace. Everything that he's declared up to this point, the the God who blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, who chose us before the foundation of the world, who has given us adoption as children of God, who have been given redemption and the forgiveness of sins, those that have been given an inheritance, the Holy Spirit, given hope, knowledge of God, power and new life, all of it is gift. It's all by God's grace. And being saved by grace, it is not just one way of relationship with God. It is the only way, by grace, through faith. And then we read that and maybe we think, aha, faith must be what I bring to the table. It's my part of the equation. I, was, I have a tendency to, to uh, ask leading questions in small group. Do you guys like the small group questions of your groups? Use them. For like 10 minutes there, we let AI, like ChatGPT was coming up with the questions, and then Stacy didn't like them, so I started doing them again, and I'm not sure who was better, <laughs> right? But it's even leading a little bit on Tuesday. It's like, so what, what do you bring to salvation? And so we want to respond. Well, we bring faith. But Paul tells us that that is not actually the case. Faithful for the perspective of one church father, Jerome, right? He helped put the Latin Bible together. And he says, Paul says, this in case the secret thought should steal upon us that if we are not saved by our own works, at least we are saved by our own faith. So in another way, our salvation is of ourselves. Thus, he added the statement that faith, too, is not in your own will, but is God's gift. Not that he means to take away free choice from humanity, but that, a, that even this very freedom of choice has God as its author. And all things are to be referred to his generosity in that he has even allowed us to do the will for good. It's like that last week. Did anybody, was anybody uncomfortable with the application of last week's sermon? Right? It was all this. You're saved by grace. You can be elevated beyond the, the lures of the unholy trinity. Right? And God has to work. Right? It's the but God being rich in mercy with the love that he had for us saved us. Right? And then the, what was, do you remember the application? Choose Jesus. Right? And at least one person came up after he's like, why would you tell me it's all of God and then tell me to choose Jesus? It's like, oh, because there's a tension. I'm playing with you a little bit. But it's that reality that I can only choose Jesus when his grace has visited me, when faith has been given as a gift to me. The grace that results in salvation is received through faith. And note that we are saved because 
of or are on the basis of grace alone, which is attained by means or through faith. We are not saved because of or on the basis of faith. Faith does not save anyone. Only the grace we receive because of Christ's atoning work saves us. When she gives us faith then, to believe, and faith is merely the instrument by which grace is received. Think of a syringe that delivers life-saving medicine. A person is saved because of the medicine, not because of the syringe. And yet, without the syringe, right, being exampled here as faith, salvation would not be possible. So faith is the response by which salvation through the perfect work of Christ is received. And faith is not a meritorious work that we achieve and then get something back for. It is simply trusting in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Living in light of the grace that we receive. So I want to press in just a little bit more then. What is faith? Faith is not the mere intellectual reception of Christian truth, nor is it belief alone, but true faith is belief plus trust. You know, many of us come from Reformed backgrounds. We have all the books that we need to read, right? We know what tulip means. It's not just a pretty flower. And if you think it is a pretty flower, you're fine, right? Right? But for us, a lot of things of faith are like the intellectual grasping of these truths. Holding the right doctrine, having the right theology. But there is a level of trust that I think sometimes we put a trust in our own ability to read words on a page, but we miss what life actually looks like faithfully following Jesus. There's a story that comes from the last century that makes something like this clear. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. In the 1900s, it was Jean-Francois Gravelet, right? Better known by his stage name of Blondin. That's a lot easier to say, right? But he was a, a world-famous acrobat. He was born in France, 1824, and he became well-known while he was still a child for his ability to be on high heights. And as he grew older, his skill and showmanship brought his fame throughout all of Europe and even North America. And once in London, he played the violin on a tightrope 170 feet off the ground and then uh, did a somersault while wearing stilts. Right? So before TikTok, he would have been huge. <laughs> right? But his most spectacular feat was the crossings of Niagara Falls on a tightrope, which is 1,100 feet long and 160 feet above the water. And on one occasion, he took a stove onto the tightrope and cooked an omelet, an omelet above the roaring falls. Bon appetit, right? On another occasion, he pushed a wheelbarrow across while he was blindfolded. And on still another, he stood on his head on the precarious wire. And that is why today in London, there are Niagara and Blondin Avenues. There are actually streets named after the things that he did over here. And once, though, in an unusual demonstration of skill, Blondin carried a man across Niagara Falls on his back. And after putting the rider down, he returned to the large crowd and asked a man that was close by, do you believe that I could do that with you? To which the man answered, I've just seen you do it. Right? I have faith you could do it. And then Blondin says, hop on. I'll carry you across. 
And the man says, not on your life. Right? Because there's no real faith without trust. So convicted by a tightrope story. How many times have I answered the Lord like when he says, do you believe that I will care for you? 2024, my, I have a song called Good Plans, right? And the version I listen to is eight minutes and 15 seconds long. Ewan hates it because he comes to church and he's like, they just repeat the same thing over and over again. I was like, if you were hungry for the Lord, you'd love it, right? I'm so spiritual. But I love the words, he has good plans for me, Right? So if the Lord is to ask me, do you believe that I could have good plans for you? Oh, yeah, I've just seen you do it for others. Well, hop on. We are fine if it's just Jesus' footprints in the sand on a beach. But what about in the heights of life that he says, hop on? What about the things in which we value following after him, right? Do Do we really trust him to care for us in that? Do we trust him with our sexuality? Do we trust him with our purpose? Do we trust him with our vocation when he says, come on this way? We believe Jesus saves by grace and then we live trusting his way when we've experienced his grace, his purpose for his glory. And it's all by faith that is given to us. So I spent a bunch of time this week just asking the Lord for faith. That which is a gift to follow him, to trust him, to live in his way. And maybe that's the prayer for you this morning. It's like, Lord, I trust your grace. Give me the faith that I can live. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. All of this is the gift of God so that no one may boast. He says our our text has given us one reason salvation is not by works, so that no one may boast. If salvation came by works, eternity would spawn a fraternity of rung-dropping, chest-thumping boasters, an endless line of celestial Pharisees. Uh, On the way to school, Ewan reads uh, scripture to us, and we've been going through Matthew and thinking about Matthew 25 and the parable of the sheep and the goats, right? And the goats on the left do all the boasting and then are sent into judgment. And the sheep on the right, those that are representing those who are saved, go on to their heavenly reward. But in that moment, they cannot even recall their good deeds. For salvation does not come by works. No one who is saved will have grounds to boast before God or will even want to. I think just the reality is that grace is the most humbling thing. Did you see how Paul brought us from the depths to the heights and now returning like in a thing of humility, like all that gift you've been given, be reminded it's a gift, right? He says, you were, you once walked in the way of the world under the power of the prince of the air and the passions of your flesh, but God... Back to the heights, but if that bringing you to the heights is not to make you arrogant as if you've arrived or better than other people because his grace is actually humbling. You didn't do anything for it. It's all a gift and it meets us where we are and then it keeps us humble, not in despair as if we're so awful, but with the right perspective of where salvation and life actually come from. 
Paul to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God and be Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When grace is all gift, all you do is boast of the giver. That creates in us, I think, a humility that smells like Jesus, and it should actually be a mark of Christian. Struck how culturally as Christians, we are not humble people. Well, I am, but not them. Just ask me, I'll tell you how humble I am. But grace does something to it. It takes the pressure off. It's actually the place where rest is found, where the fuel for walking with Jesus is given to us, this gift. Old preacher Charles Simeon said, Thus we hope that the point is clear. Salvation is altogether of grace from first to last. The plan of salvation as originally devised, the Savior who wrought it out for us, the acceptance of his vicarious sacrifice on our behalf, and the faith whereby we are made partakers of his sacrifice are all the gifts of free and sovereign grace. The foundation and the superstructure are holy of grace. All of it from God, his gift for us, for salvation, for life, for belief and trust. And it's grace that actually leads somewhere, leads to good works. We have a a picture of planting flowers. And I have to be honest with you. This there is a there's an element of like we bring beauty where we are. But I'm so stri- I do, we're, we partner with Flourish San Diego. You know, we're all about bringing these redemptive things. And they show this, and they showed the video on the academy that we hosted on Friday about the florist. And she says, I'm just a florist. How can the Lord use me? And then there's this beautiful moment. She gives flowers to somebody. They all cry, and it, it, the world has been changed, right? And so you can actually be a florist for the glory of God. And, but I've done what I despise about that thing, too, because, like, Florists are clean and it's beautiful things, but the picture should probably be of a trash collector. Somebody willing to go into the breach and do the disgusting things on behalf of others to provide them with sanitation and care. But yeah, pretty flowers are good too. But we're actually made, we're called to do something, to be used for the remaking of our world, to be bringing beauty where there was only destruction before. Paul says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the memory verse for our children for like the last couple months, right? 
So get ready. We're gonna, on Easter, you're going to have to say it. It's a family service, right? The kids will be up in the front. Memorize this text. There, there are two works that are in mind in this one verse, though. There's God's work and there's ours. It starts with God's workmanship. And God's workmanship is us. We are literally his masterpiece, his best work. That's what Paul is declaring here. The one who gives us grace, gives us faith that is a gift, is claiming us as his best work. Believers are God's workmanship. In the the Greek, the poema, a term that occurs only here and in Romans 1.20, where it refers to the works of God in creation. So here it designates God's work in the new creation of believers. The transformation of believers from death to life is so radical that it's considered a new act of creation. And the scope of this new creation is more than just individual in nature, which it certainly is for you, but it also includes then the community you are made part of in faith. And then together, it has a view of the new creation of the individual and community that anticipates the recreation of the cosmos. What's still to come, the remaking of everything for the glory of God. Paul's declaring to us here that we are God's works of arts. I do not think there is a more exalted description of a believer in all of Scripture that you are a masterpiece. We're God's works of art. So are you valued by God? Absolutely. So much so that he pours out his grace upon you and makes you his workmanship, his prize. The Father is so fond of you that he gives his Son to make you his. Willing to sacrifice of himself that he could be in relationship with you and you could live into the life that he has planned for you from the beginning of time. Augustine was always known to say that men stare at mountains and stars in wonder, but we pass by real masterpieces all the time. You guys, I want to see you as God sees you, as his poema, his poems, his masterpiece, his beauty. And then from that work, from you being remade as a masterpiece, his workmanship, it flows into our work. Because we're workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That which has been prepared beforehand that is essential to his plan of renewal. Not good works that earn a place with God, but instead just living from the salvation that is a gift and experiencing his grace for the glory of God. Sharing it with everyone around us. And good works, you have to understand, is a really wide category. It literally looks like the life that Jesus taught us to live in the Sermon on the Mount. Which we, you know... It's an election year, so maybe we should... The last time we had an election year, we broke out the kingdom ethic. We went through the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe we should do it again, right? Jesus encourages his listeners in the ultimate of his teaching there to love their enemies, right? To forgive others and to care for the poor and marginalized. He emphasizes the importance of humility, telling his followers not to worry about material possessions or outward appearances. Like it's a whole different life than that which we live. 
He says, focus instead on a life of righteousness and integrity. So the good works that have been prepared for beforehand for us are all those things. They might look different like serving families with kids with disabilities so that they could be included in a church service because they can't go anywhere else. Everybody else tells them to bring their kid outside, their kid's too loud. You have to know when we have friends that are here and we have people in our church that, you know, poor little Malachi, you guys think he's laughing, but he's having a seizure in those moments. And there's an impulse in the parents to say, well, I'm going to take him outside so he's not a distraction. I don't care if you hear anything. If you're distracted by that, that's between you and the Lord. I want them to be served. And that's the good works that he's prepared beforehand for Reservoir Church. Oh, people won't come to your church if there's, you know, a kid that has severe autism and is not controlled in this space. I don't care who comes to our church. I want them to come to our church. Because Jesus said there is a feast prepared and it's these that are there and the doors are still open. So if he wants to pour out his gift of grace and faith to other people that would join into that service of people, praise God. But if he doesn't, we're living into what he's prepared for us. That's not in my notes. Tony Evans says a good work is a divinely prescribed action that benefits others in such a way that God is glorified. And many Christians are unfulfilled and miserable because they've never gotten around to doing the work God has for them. We live in a culture that says you need to get after yours. And the church has been corrupted by that posture. Friends, your best life is lived giving yours away. Just like our Savior did. All of us are God's workmanship, and as such, we have been given good works to do that were appointed before our existence. You are just now living into his plan. And when we do those works, he gives us the necessary power and the sense of the Holy Spirit in our sails, giving us the strength to do what he's called for us to do. And that's what the church exists for. Did you know Paul wasn't like, Individually, personally, he could have said, for you are the workmanship of God. But he says, we are his workmanship. There's a corporate reality at play in this letter that we are to be proclaiming the grace of Christ, walking in good works. It is to be our life. When he says, do you believe I can bring you across the heights and says, hop on, we say, yes, let's go. struck by the fact that Paul started this chapter with the truth that we once walked in death and now we walk in good works, new life, a life of grace and faith, the gift of God for his masterpieces. It's what you were meant for. It's the beauty you're meant to bring to bear in the midst of a stricken and struggling world. Friends, salvation from beginning to end, even the good works that we perform, are, it's all the result of God's grace. There is no room then for boasting before God since he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And what a gift it is to us. And maybe it's all we have, his grace for us. 
Maybe we don't have a lot of skill. Maybe we don't have a great CV or resume. Maybe we don't have a lot of experience, but we've been given his grace by faith. And when the grace of God is all you've got, it's more than enough. So get grace. And by get grace, I mean receive it. It's all we have and it's more than enough. It's dripping from every page of scripture. Ask the spirit to highlight it for you that you would see. And it's his power for salvation to all who believe. It changes everything. When you've received grace, then get to work. Not to earn but to give him glory. Tethered to each other in the church, you are called to love, serve, and sacrifice, and it really is the best life. It's what you were meant for. You are not your worst moment. You're not your worst year. You're not your worst conversation or your worst parenting minute. You are not even your best moment apart from Christ. In Jesus, you are God's masterpiece created for the work of renewal wherever the Father has put you. And that's better than even having the best parking spot on campus. Let's be about it, shall we? Pray with me. Good and holy God, we thank you for your word, which is at times so far beyond us in the riches in which are proclaimed within Here you've made clear that our salvation is by grace through faith. It is not of our own doing, but is all a gift from you. Lord, we ask you you'd help us to receive this gift. For some of us, maybe for the first time, we just understand that salvation is not, in fact, by my ability to live a certain way or to be good or to vote a certain way speak out about certain issues, but to be fully and firmly under the banner of your grace. That all I bring is being dead in my trespasses and sin, and you give me all of life. For some of us, we've been standing in your grace, and we just ask that your spirit would bring a fresh reminder to us of your care for us, that we truly are your workmanship. You really have prepared a life for us beforehand that we are to live together for your glory and our good. Help us to live it. Bring your gospel to our cities, to our neighborhoods, to our world. In Jesus' name.